stop by the Buckeye Room Bar and Grill for happy hour. Stay longer on Tuesdays for music bingo or Fridays for karaoke. Follow us on Facebook for special events, live local bands, and more. The Buckeye Room Bar and Grill, located in the Buckeye Tower on Buckeye Road in Doraville. All right, uh, welcome back, Heather. I um, just wanted to uh, do more of a one-on-one uh, -on -one chat with you. Um, you know, we did the town hall recently, and um, had another entrant into the uh, race here in uh, District 11. And so um, maybe it's getting a little more crowded, which I think is actually a good thing. Um, I can't remember the gentleman's name. It, it escapes me. But you know, as more candidates end up entering the race. You know, some people think, well, you know, I'd already been working with this candidate, or I like this candidate, and uh, you know, the other opinions are, well, actually, it, it brings more people into the race and, and actually generates more interest. So, um, is it just the three of you so far in the race uh, against um, uh, Ladderboat? Uh, so far, yes. Uh, by the way, thank you for having me again. I really appreciate it. Um, I really enjoyed it last time. And uh, Antonio is the new, um, is the third candidate. There is some talk about a possible fourth, but um, nothing so far, uh, no filings or anything like that. So I'm not sure if that's going to happen or not. There's just been some chatter. Um, but right now it is myself, um, Antonio, and Bo. We have all officially filed. Um, so, yes, um, I, I think... I, I, I'm on the same path as you, or I toward to tend to lean on the same path as you. I think it's a good thing um, because it does generate interest. And then I kind of look at it as um, we're all on the same team. We're, it's kind of a healthy competition, um, but it gives us some practice, all of us, um, for whoever might be the winner of the of this primary. Um, to face Barry Loudermilk because that's going to be, you know, a good, it's going to be a healthy competition. Um, he's going to be a formidable opponent come general election. And so this gives us good practice for each other um, to take him on. I mean, he's been in office since 2015, at least in U.S. Congress. He was with the Georgia House prior to that. So this gives us um, – you know, good time to uh, practice and work together and get to know the district and what the needs are and move forward. Yeah, for sure. And the uh, the stuff that I'm seeing coming from Barry, um, I don't know that I've seen him quite this reactive in the years that I've been in his district. Um, we're seeing emails, uh, campaign emails that don't look too different from what Trump's campaign emails look like. Um, blatant, blatant lies. Um, I mean, we're going to get into voting rights, but he is on the same page with Georgia Republicans. Just blatant lies about the differences between Georgia and Colorado when it comes to uh, voting. Um, completely ignoring the fact that in Colorado you have automatic vote by mail. I mean, yeah, Georgia Republicans I'm, are completely ignoring that. I'm so glad you said that. I am on his mailing list, um, and I have been comparing him. I said the same thing the other day. I'm like, he is right in line. Like, he's just towing the line with 
um, Trump on a lot of things. Even the I get Trump's email still, and the the Georgia Republicans, um, and you see the same. The some sometimes it's like the exact same language, um, or a word or two might be switched around, or they're paraphrasing. It's it's literally the same things, and sometimes it's the same scary tactics um, that they're using to get those donations. So it's it's really kind of awful um, that he's doing that and. He's focusing so much on that, using that that language and that chatter, um, and I think he's trying to do that to highlight the fact that, um, or maybe to cover up the fact that he's not doing anything in office. He has, he's barely voted uh, in 2020 and in 2021, and when he has voted, he's voted no. Um, he's, it, it's, it. He, I think he's. Um, and then uh, he went on Newsmax the other day. I don't know. He posted that uh, video on his uh, Twitter, and it's all blatant lies. And he is comparing Georgia to Colorado. And Colorado, just like you said, they can um, you can automatically vote by mail. And when here in Georgia now, you have to apply to vote by mail. You can't just um, – you, you know, you can't just, they don't send it out to anyone. Um, and they also have state-run voting centers where anyone can go. You don't have to go to just your county precinct. Um, it's, it, so Colorado has a much easier voting process. They've been doing it the, the right way, a very a successful way, an easy way for a very long time. And Georgia just destroyed, I know we're going to talk about that later, we just destroyed everything um, in one bill. So, yeah. It's it's not good. <laughs> well, well, we might as well go ahead and go into to voting rights while we're here. Um, and I just noticed um, uh, yesterday I happened to pull my University of Colorado T-shirt, and I'm wearing it today. Huh. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't go. do it on purpose, but uh, you know, well, uh, hooray Colorado. But um, we might as well just go ahead while we're on the topic here. Um, most of the, and actually, it's not just Colorado. Western states, uh, if you are a registered voter. I think it's Oregon does it, and a couple of others out there. They automatically send you a mail-in ballot, and uh, this is pretty common. In the western states, you think Georgia's spread out. We have 159 counties. Go out west. You know, take a trip out there. Um, it is wide open spaces out there, and you know, to get to a polling place, it may be quite a trek. When you think it's it's a bit of a trek to get to a polling place here, uh, try going out west. And so it is a way to actually get more people to vote that they've been doing for quite some time out there. And it works. And, you know, for all of these alleged, you know, uh, voter irregularities, voter fraud, all this BS they keep coming up with, okay, if you live out on a ranch in the middle of nowhere – Who's going to be stealing your ballot? I mean, it, it doesn't, it, you're one person living on 300 acres. Does it really make sense for somebody to go to your mailbox and steal your ballot? And if you did, it, I mean, it, it just doesn't even make any sense what, what they're trying to portray as this so-called you know, voter fraud. Um, and it backfired on them. Here in Georgia, you know, the, the, uh, Trump was trying to say, well, you know, don't, don't use that voter uh, mail-in vote. It, it's it's ridden with voter fraud and everything, but yet he, of course, votes by mail in Florida. 
by the way. And, and, and now they're going to make – well, they didn't remove the no excuse voting, but now they're going to make it a little more difficult. Apparently, you have to make a copy of your photo ID here in Georgia to actually get a mail-in ballot this next time around. Yeah, so um, the Georgia law is it's, – it's not a response to voter fraud. It's a response to voter turnout. So we'll just go ahead and make that very clear. Um, the Republicans realized that they're losing, and they don't want to change their tactics. They don't want to change their views or what they're doing. They don't want to do the work, so they're going to cheat the system. And that's exactly what this whole Georgia bill is about. I read the entire Georgia bill, by the way, the SB202. Um, it will make you want to puke. Um, and I typed up um, – uh, like a whole list of like the main points. It's got, I've got like 50 main points and it's not, it's just like the main highlights and it's not even like really digging down into it. Um, but I mean, it, oh, it's absurd. Um, but all these other states are trying to copy it. Like, you know, we were talking about um, other states doing this. You're absolutely right. The Western states have a, a track record of success doing this. And they're trying to say, well, voter fraud, Texas, for example, they had in 2020 less than 20 cases of voter fraud that were reported, less than 20. And they're trying to pass the same kind of sweeping voter suppression laws. And they've, on a same kind of note, though, they've, uh, they had over, like 4,000 deaths by um, guns in 2020. But, you know, that they're not doing anything about. So, you know, Florida is doing the same thing. They, they didn't have hardly any um, cases of voter fraud, but they're trying to do these same kind of laws. So, it, it's, again, it's, it's a response to voter turnout in 2020 because Trump lost. And so you're seeing this across – all primarily red states, they want to um, bring it back to where Republicans can win. So Georgia passed this law, and we've got the – the because it's – we're still led by – we're still basically led by Republicans. We need to flip Georgia blue the rest of the way. We need to get more – um, Democrats in charge, and I think the start, just to stop all of this, we need to pass the For the People Act, um, put federal prohibitions in place. Um, that will stop this sweeping voter suppression all the way around. That will put kind of some barriers in place, if you will, um, that will give voter rights across the board. Um, Voter suppression is the only way Republicans think they can win. Voter rights are what's best for everyone, regardless if you're Republican or Democrat. It, it doesn't matter what party you, you lean towards. It's about what's best for America and Americans. And so we need a, we need a sweeping bill, and the voter or the For the People Act is the way to do that. So we just have to get it passed, and everyone should be calling their congressmen, their local leaders, everyone. Get on the phone, call everyone you know, and 
make yourself a pest to them so they can call the people they know and get this done. Bottom line. <laughs> yeah. And um, if you're able to, and, and some strategies for this, um, I'll, you know, I've, I've done this, <laughs> um, record the call. Um, if you yeah. go to the office, uh, get your, your phone out and, and record the interaction. Um, I uh, did some phone calls this week down to the state house. Um, the republic, uh, the the same um, stuff that Barry Loudermilk is tweeting is basically uh, cut and paste from what the uh, Georgia uh, state um, uh, Republicans were trying to say. Um, they're trying to say uh, that uh, Colorado has. Uh, um, uh, more strict access to the polls than Georgia has, which, as we just discussed, doesn't make sense. But I actually called around to the um, uh, several of the Georgia state senators. Uh, two of the phone lines just went straight to a, a mechanical voicemail. Um, and then the third one I went to, um, the staffer answered. And, of course, these staffers, when you call them, they don't have the uh, wherewithal to interact with you. They are just there to take a phone call and um, pass along, in air quotes, your opinion. Um, but record these interactions. Um, th there's a strategy on a uh, Republican congressman up in New York State. Um, there was an indivisible group up there, and I have to go back and find the exact name. But um, there was, I think it was every Friday, that indivisible group went to their, that Republican uh, congressman's office and did a mini protest. And they had a picture of the congressman where he actually was on the roof of the building one, one Friday because he was so scared to actually go on camera or, or interact with his constituents. Yeah. Um, it, that is the state of affairs of where we are. These people allegedly wanted to be in office so bad but yet they're afraid of their constituents. Yeah, well, I mean, then they don't need to be in office anymore. The people should not be afraid of the government. The government should be afraid of their people. The people have, it's, it's about the people. It's about the power of the people. And it's, if you're in office, you need to represent your people, your constituents and highlight and raise their voices. That is your job. <clears throat> so if, like Barry Loudermilk, he should be highlighting and raising the voices of the people of CD11. He only raises his own voice in Trumps. And the people of the, you know, the GOP, he needs to be talking to the people of CD11. Raise those voices. So like that pe person in New York, he shouldn't be on the roof. He should be in that office hearing what they have to say and then raising those voices. That's his job. That's what you're there for. Otherwise, you don't need to be in office. The job's not for you. Yeah. But he'll take an interview from Newsmax. <laughs> yes. Um, he will take an interview from Newsmax. I'm not uh, – I have – my – undergrad is in um, mass communications and I question whether or not Newsmax is really uh, a newsworthy source, but that's my personal opinion. Um, so, and again, I think he likes seeing himself on camera, but um, if you watch that interview, um, I wouldn't, nothing there was true. And then he went on about 
um, COVID and infrastructure, and let's be clear, he voted against the American Rescue Plan. He has already made it very clear that he is not going to vote for the infrastructure bill. So um, you really shouldn't be talking about something that you had nothing to do with. So can't take credit for something you wouldn't support, bottom line. Um, yeah, and the voting thing, well, he really didn't have any hand in that. He might have had something to do with it. I, at this point, I wouldn't put it past him um, to help Georgia, you know, silence the, uh, the voices. So, yeah, uh, that whole interview was just a sham. It was not good. Well, he's got to have his talking points. And <laughs> when, we get, when we talk about infrastructure, I mean, you know, thankfully, um, who would have known all of Trump's disasters that he had on his four years in office that America would be leading in vaccines? Um, Canada right now, you know, they're only giving vaccines, I think, to senior citizens at this point. Um, so bravo to, you know, uh, Biden and, you know, everybody that is working to get all these vaccines. But on the way to get the, um, the vaccine last evening, I got a flat tire. And so I, I can't fully blame, you know, the infrastructure, but there is a lot of construction <laughs> on the roads. And, you know, they, they took the tire off and there was a big gash in the middle. So I can't help but wonder if... Uh, and, and blame, um, you know, the, the, the bad roads that we have around. But that, that's beside the point. But, um, you know, kind of veering away, I wanted a couple other points on the, the voting rights that I wanted to talk about. Um, you know, when the, uh, the insurrection happened, and, um, and this also came, um, you know, very focused here in Georgia, um, a lot of uh, uh, corporations stopped contributing to um, these elected officials that were actually towing the Republican line of that whole, you know, air quotes, stop the steal and everything that went down in January. And um, there are still, you know, FBI pictures floating around looking for, do you know this person that was in the Capitol building? I mean, that, that still happened. It was not some, some kind of uh, Hollywood movie that went down in January. You know, uh, Trump was at the White House, and he, he claimed he was going to march to the Capitol. I mean, that, we're reminded still here in April that happened in January, and they tried a coup. And people like Barry Loudermilk stood by that. And, you know, before we started recording today, I was wondering, and I'm looking at FBC.gov, it does not look like we have new information beyond December 2020. But we can still look at, you know, the campaign contributions to went to Barry Loudermilk in December 2020. You have companies in here, Liberty Mutual, Insurance, Delta Airlines, Goldman Sachs, I mean, the Amazon. Um, you know, these are companies that gave sizable amounts to Barry Loudermilk. Uh, Wells Fargo is in here. Deloitte, Anheuser-Busch, you know, and these are in the thousands of dollars. And yet you have, you know, someone like Barry Loudermilk that is towing this Republican line of, you know, well, we don't know if this was actually a legitimate election, and so on and so forth. And yet he you have voted not to certify the election. Yeah. 
And yet, here on April 7th, a couple of days ago, you have this appetite for corporations to get back into this again with JetBlue Airways giving $1,000 to a New York Republican who was on the same line again. Do, do, they, do they just have amnesia? Do, do, have they carved out this niche issue that they think that this Nicole Malatakis, I may be pronouncing that wrong, this New York you know, representative, they've carved out this niche issue. They think that they can get some sort of um, sweet deal to do something here and just ignore everything else that this you know, representative has been doing? You know, I, I've been thinking about this because I did see the JetBlue story yesterday. And the only thing I can even begin to think of is that I think they think people's minds are or their attention is focused elsewhere right now because of everything going on. Um, even though January 6th was literally just like three months ago, which with COVID time that might seem like a year ago, but we have the Derek Chauvin trial going on right now, which is captivating you know, really the entire world. Um, we've got COVID just still taking up so much of our uh, collective, God, it, everything. Um, and I think with everything going on, you've got the NRA going through bankruptcy that's getting bigger and bigger every day. You've got so much focus on um, what Biden is doing You've got focus on um, Matt Gates, um, so I think maybe they thought they could slip it in under the radar and nobody would notice. But I think people need to take stories like this and blast it into the atmosphere because we don't need to forget January 6th. It, is, it was a domestic terrorist attack and insurrection on our country by one of our own, by someone leading our country and we can't ever forget that or ever let it happen again um it i mean it is a horrible stain on our country that will never be forgotten and um it is absolutely devastating and heartbreaking to even think about um and and in all honesty like we watched it happen like we watched the lead up to it happening we knew it was going to happen and nobody like I think people thought it was not going to happen. Um, nobody wanted to really take it seriously because it was Donald Trump. Um, but we, we have a serious problem with extremism in this, well, in the world, but in this country. And people sit by and don't want to acknowledge it until something happens like this. And now they want to go backwards and say, well, we need to do something. Well, it's a little late now. Um, so I think... Anytime um, we start seeing these corporations start giving these donations again, they need to be held accountable. We've got all these people saying, boycott Georgia, boycott Georgia because of this voter suppression bill. Well, it's not Georgia's fault. Um, it's not, don't blame the people of Georgia because we didn't do this. You're, you're punishing people who have jobs and stuff. But you can absolutely hold the companies accountable that are doing, that are supporting people who supported an insurrection against this country. 
And I think we should absolutely do that. Yeah, and and I, I recorded a um, just a solo uh, podcast this week, and I'm I'm going to say it again. Um, if you look at the demographics of a typical baseball game and the fans, you're going to typically see a white demographic. It's similar with NASCAR. Mm-hmm. If you compare that to a basketball game, like an NBA game, or you compare that to a football game, or even to a, um, a, a, a pro soccer game, you, you see very different demographics, right? At an NBA game, you're, you're, you're not going to see nearly as many white people. You're not going to see, um, you're going to see a few more probably white people at an NFL game. I don't know that we would quite see the same reaction if this were not a baseball game. And you don't have to necessarily answer that, but I'm just going to put it on the table. Because there seems to be a lot of rigmarole about one single baseball game that actually doesn't count for anything. It's just a bunch Mm -hmm. of pro baseball players that make millions and millions of dollars a year. They're really good at their game and they have a baseball game against each other doesn't count for anything. Yeah, and if you pay attention to it, they really aren't playing. Like, I went to the NHL All-Star game when it was here in Atlanta, and I was a little disappointed because they don't – they're just kind of goofing off and not really playing real hard or anything because nobody wants to get injured. Nobody wants to hit each other, which in the NHL, that's half the fun, Um, because it's – you want to be good to go for the next game or the next season. So you're not playing your heart with your heart, you know. You're just kind of there going through the motion type thing. So the NHL All-Star game or the same with like the any All-Star game for any major league sport is going to be more about you've got all your major stars in one place. So I don't – Maybe it's just me. I don't want to get the highlight of it, but um, and I'm not a baseball fan, so yeah, maybe it's just not that big of a deal to me. But it's. I also don't think it was necessarily a good idea anyway because we're still in COVID. Um. So, but you know, it is what it is. Um, but there's. Uh, I get the. I get the logic behind it. I get the Major League Baseball taking a stand um, in support of voting rights. I do understand that, um, and I support that piece of it. Um, however, you know, there, there's also the people of Georgia who, you know, would, would have been working that game and were depending on that money and things of that nature. Um, However, there's also, you know, it would have been at Truist Park and Truist, which was formerly SunTrust, um, gave a lot of money to this voter suppression effort. So there's both, there's both sides of the coin. Um, so it, it's hard to know where to land on that um, because obviously the, the voters are the most important people um, and they should come first. Yeah, and and honestly, you know, the Republicans that they have not, um, you know, gone over the the line in the sand. But honestly, they lost here. Oh yeah, 
and, and and just like Trump, you know, he never admits defeat. Barry Loudermilk never admits defeat. Um, but they clearly lost with this. The game's already gone. They're, they've taken the signs down at Truist Park. Um, and it's gone to Colorado. They lost. Yeah, the Braves are covering up the patch on their on their jerseys. I noticed that. Yeah. So, um, and, and you have the corporations that also, with, with all their, you know, money that they were contributing to, you know, the, these um, lawmakers on both sides, and even Mitch McConnell trying to have it both ways. You know, he, he, he got behind Citizens United for all that money going to all of the uh, lawmakers, and now they want to get on the other side and say, well, no, the corporations need to get out of politics. Or these other arguments all of a sudden that, oh, no, 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 we need to get politics out of sports. You can't have it both ways. Well, you know, it's funny because um, it was several years ago. I don't remember exactly when. Um, you know, Mitch McConnell is the one who took the FEC to court the I think almost the Supreme Court and McConnell v. FEC, so he could keep corporations in politics. Mm-hmm. So you know which way you want McConnell, you can't you literally can't have it both ways. So I think um, a lot of people forget about that, but that was it was Mitch McConnell v. the Federal Elections Commission, and it was purely about keeping um, corporate money in politics. And uh, so I thought that was funny that now he's the one saying corporations should stay out of it. Um, So it's kind of interesting. Yeah. All right, so moving on, the the other uh, topics we were going to cover here, um, uh, healthcare. So um, this is um, is hitting home this year. My mom is uh, wanting to retire, for example, and uh, but she's not old enough for Medicare yet. And so we went. To her, her birthday was uh, last month, and we we went to lunch, and she just kind of threw her hands up. And she goes, "Well, I just don't understand any of this. You're gonna have to help me out." And and I went out to healthcare.gov. You know, as the good mm-hmm. son, and printed out. You know, um, this is how much it potentially is going to cost and everything. And she says, "Oh, well, this may be manageable." I said, "Well, imagine that, mom." <laughs> but it's honestly, it's still expensive. You know, I, I talked to it a friend is. a week or two ago. He lives in Mississippi, and he um, pays around eight hundred dollars a month for mm-hmm. health insurance. That's expensive. I, you know, the only other expense I think we have would be housing. That's more than that. I pay five hundred dollars a month for just me. So I, I understand completely. It's, um, it's ridiculous. Uh, so it's, uh, it's not good. It, we definitely need um, some health care reform in this country, um, and. I can actually, I might be able to help you a little bit more with your mom offline. So uh, depending on her age and everything, she might actually be eligible for Medicare. Um, So I'm actually going through that same kind of process with my mother. So I understand. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, yeah, the price of healthcare is, is just ridiculous. And now you've got um, these, uh, you've got, employers that don't have to offer health care. They can just opt out, which 
that's the situation I'm in, and so I have to get my own, and it's $500 a month just for me, and I have decent coverage, but it's not the best, um, but I'm, I'm very thankful to have coverage, don't get me wrong. <laughs> um, so we, we just need, I do believe we need Medicare for All, but it will take us time to get there. If we tried to uh, start it, you know, even in January, it, it, would, it would not work. Um, there, Medicare, as it works right now, the reason it keeps getting to the point where it's almost, you know, bankrupt is because of how the spending works. Um, and I've worked in healthcare for 20 years now. I've seen the way Medicare pays out. It is absolutely ridiculous. Um, some place, depending on where you're, what field it is and things like that, the diagnoses and all, there's a whole lot to it. Um, it pays really, really well for some things and it doesn't pay squat to other. It, it's ridiculous. Um, so Medicare needs to be just completely overhauled. That's the first piece of it. Um, the other piece of it is I think Biden's plan for a public and private payer option is is the first piece to transition to Medicare for all. Um, it's, it's a start. It will put some necessary infrastructure pieces in place while you build towards a Medicare for all plan. Um, but when I say there's a lot that needs to be done, I mean there's a lot. Um, it, it's things that people don't even think about that go into this, like you need medical personnel. And with the medical personnel means, um, you know, that's it goes along with medical school. And you need medical schools to be more cost effective. And that means student loan and then student loan reform. And then so – you get, and then you get into the medical licensure, which is just absurd, and the malpractice insurance, which is just a joke. Um, so there's a lot of pieces involved in this. Um, and then you get into um, access to care, which if we go to some of these rural areas, there's nothing. And when I say nothing, I mean nothing. They've shut down everything. Um, and then you get into like I could go on about mental health care forever because that is like my passion project. Um, I was in mental health care for a very long time. They shut down all the state hospitals. So people with severe mental illness have nowhere to go. Um, and their families are taking care of them and they don't know how. And we, we need to open those state hospitals back up and we need to have the funding there and the qualified health personnel there to take care of them. And so there's, there's a lot there. Um, so I I think we can do Medicare for all. I think it's absolutely possible. It just can't, it won't happen overnight. It won't happen in the next six months. It's going to take time to get there, but we can absolutely get there. We just need the, the people, the expertise, the funding and infrastructure there to do it. And we can absolutely become a country that has amazing health care for everyone that is quality health care and accessible health care, and it, it can be, oh, my God, it can be amazing. You just need the right people in place to do it. Yeah. I mean, look at Canada. I mean, uh, you know, and, and even um, 
that I have a um, an uncle that is um, quite um, you know a conservative a Republican, and and I've said it numerous times, and and he echoes it. He says uh, he loves Medicare. Mm-hmm. Nobody complains about Medicare. And how long have we had Medicare? Now, now you just mentioned about the payout side, but all the beneficiaries okay. of Medicare, nobody complains about it. Well, e- even my. Go ahead. Go ahead. I mean the the the, um, the the beneficiary. I mean my mom. You know she's too young for it, and she wishes she had it. I mean, and, and we're looking at this, you know, everybody's wanting you know, Medicare for all, but, you know, and mostly nobody really complains about Medicare, but yet all of the um, the for-profit healthcare, you know, regime here in America is fighting tooth and nail to prevent it. Mm-hmm. The, the biggest, there are some coverage gaps with Medicare. Um, there's what the biggest thing is what's called the donut hole. Um, which is really detrimental to a lot of um, seniors in this country because they're on a fixed income. So with Medicare, you have um, it's it's a coverage gap, and it's we just most of us in healthcare call it the donut hole um, because you pay so much out, um, and then Medicare will pay so much out, and then you hit this coverage gap, and you have to pay it's like two thousand dollars i think out of pocket before medicare will start paying again and it usually ends up hitting at your prescriptions and that's that's you can't do that i mean seniors especially need their medications and that's not somewhere you can hit them and expect them to pay out of pocket especially when you're on a a fixed income um and it you can't deprive them of their medications. You can't, these are, this is not an area you can just, in my opinion, play around with because you're messing with people's literal lives. Um, so when I, when I used to run medical practices and stuff, you know, this is, we used to run into this problem a lot and we'd have to find creative solutions for it because we can't have a patient just, not be able to get their meds because they can't afford them and you know it's it's a very big problem and a lot of times if they have a secondary policy to pick up for medicare the secondary policy doesn't cover the donut hole which i'm sorry what's what's the point of a secondary that picks up if you don't cover the donut hole like that's (laughs) so these are the things in healthcare that are just absolutely absurd that, that need reform and need fixing. Um, it, it's just these like absurd things that in my opinion, take advantage of our underserved population and our fixed income population and our elderly and it, that we can do better on. Like we, I, I mean, we shouldn't even have to, have these conversations like that's just something that should be in place like it or we should be absolutely taking care of our elderly like they're the most precious commodity in this entire world in my opinion and we should be just I I have a a soft spot for the elderly I think they're amazing and I love them and I put them on a pedestal and I think we should just cradle them and like and love them and I just it's I, I just think it's atrocious the way 
they're taken advantage of sometimes by these health insurance companies. Yeah, for sure. And and even um, it seemed to have died down, but I remember a year or two ago, the AJC did the um, uh, there was a um, expose or some, uh, for lack of a better term, where they went into uh, some of these uh, senior care homes. You have nursing homes, but you also have the in the middle, um, you know, uh, assisted mm -hmm. living care. And um, I drove by one the other day that's brand new. They're, they're popping up all here around the metro area. And um, it, it's not the same level of care that you have in a nursing home. But as you know, um, the, the, our older uh, generation, they have good days, they have bad days. And there are some days that they need more help than they need others. And um, th there were some stories that were covered, unfortunately, where um, there were some gaps in that uh, assisted living uh, um, arrangement um, that I don't know they actually ever covered or filled. I don't know if you heard of that or, or remember mm -hmm. any of those stories. So I've worked in a nursing home, um, and I understand why they're there. They're essential to a point, um, but it's not an ideal situation for anybody. Um, that is one of the places I will say that um, Medicare pays out an absorbent amount of money um, for, uh, for patients that are on Medicare. And uh, I will say some, not all, some nursing homes absolutely take advantage of the system. I have personally seen it myself uh, way too many times, and um, it is awful. I mean, they can get upwards of $12,000 a day per patient that's on Medicare. Um, so they want all the Medicare patients they can get. But, again, Medicare, um, they'll pay for, like, 90 days, and then that's all they pay for. And then you turn into a, what's called a long-term care patient, so you have to switch over to, like, Medicaid um, or self-pay. And then um, once you have, like, 60 days of wellness, if you go back into the hospital for three nights um, and then go back to a facility, uh, they will pay for another 90 days. And uh, so you, if you ever see this trend with a loved one that's in a nursing home, that's why they keep ended up back in the hospital for things like UTIs and dehydration. Um, it is a very messed up scheme um, that, again, Medicare. Uh, but then you have, like, mental health providers that are taking a hit um, for a, something called sequestration, and it's only being impacted, um, it's only affecting mental health providers. So psychiatrists are getting um, a percentage taken off of each of their payments for each Medicare patient, and they already don't get paid squat for Medicare, um, but each time they see one, uh, they have to, they get an additional percentage taken off that is just a write-off for them. They can't charge the patient or anything. Um, but it's just, it's something that Medicare passed called sequestration. And they, so they might get 50 or 60 bucks per visit um, for a Medicare patient. And then they take an additional few dollars off for this thing called sequestration. Medicare keeps that um, as a way to kind of recoup costs. Yet they're paying twelve, you know, anywhere between three and twelve thousand dollars a day for uh, nursing home patients. So it's really messed up. Um, and there you go. But assisted livings um, are kind of like an independent living. 
they um, you're supposed to be able to live independently there. It's just kind of like your new home, but there's some staff there to give you your medications and stuff. If you need more care while you're there, you can get home health to come in and assist and stuff like that. Some independent, uh, some assisted livings will have like a dementia unit um, for those who have memory um, impairments. That will be a locked unit, and um, that will have additional care. It does cost additional money. Those are all private pay, though. Those are very expensive. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, but personal care homes is where they're um, they're having a lot of problems, and those are. A lot of them are unlicensed, and what happens there is very scary. Some of them are very are licensed and very good, though. Just depends. Just if you're putting your family member in a personal care home, please make sure they're licensed, and that the care they're getting there, just check in off it and make sure they're getting um, very good care. But all yeah, depends on the level of care that's needed. Yeah, some of the, uh, the the pillows that I've seen on some elderly couches. Uh, be kind to your children. They they pick your uh, your nursing home. Yes, that's exactly, um, they do. And I mean, there's always extra services that can be brought in, like if you do choose an assisted living, like there's home health, there's hospice, there's senior um, assistant, uh, senior helpers, things like that, that can help you out. Um, so that's all good. And um, like there's always resources um, out there and PMI needs to know. I know way too much about this stuff, as you can clearly tell, <laughs> and I'm always able to answer questions or help out in any way I can. So people can always just send me a message, and I will help out in any way I can because this is, as I said, the elderly and the seniors are like my loves, and I will do anything I can to help them. Yeah, for sure. That's why we um, we did this episode today to kind of dig deeper. Um, any other healthcare stories or um, particular demographics or anything you can think of? Um, my other like real passion um, is probably women's healthcare and um, access for like LBGTQ. Um, is you know, there's a lot I think that people don't think of when it comes to um, women's reproductive health care. Whenever people think about like women's health care, they automatically just go right to whether or not to continue a pregnancy. And there is just so much more involved than that. Um, and uh, and again, I can go off. There's a whole lot. I've, I've been in healthcare far too long, so I could go on and on about this all day, but I won't. Um, so, like, you could, um, I think we need more access and more quality care for women and, in general, for LBGTQ um, clients. Like, we need just specialized care that just addresses them as a whole um, so that so we can all get the proper care that we need. Um, without it being like a controversial subject because it shouldn't, it shouldn't even be a talking point in my opinion. It should just be like, I mean, no offense to you, um, but we don't talk about men's reproductive care. Men's reproductive health as a talking point. It's just, it's just regular care for you. So it should just, it should be the same for me and everybody else. Um, you know, we, uh, it's, we have like basic gynecological care, um, 
contraceptive care, prenatal care, maternal care, postpartum care, cancer screenings. Um, women these days are being, uh, you're seeing women diagnosed with different forms of reproductive cancer, younger and younger, and it's, be, it's being caught too late to where it's having a detrimental effect because they're not having access to the screenings they need, um, which is horrible. Um, a lot of insurances, like, won't even pay for a mammogram until you're 40, and unless you have a family history of breast cancer. And I'm sorry, that's, that's just terrifying. Um, like, uh, no. Um, and then, uh, you know, we need access to, like, insurance needs to start thinking about regular coverage for, like, fertility treatments and egg storage and stem cell banking and family planning, um, surrogacy and adoption services. And I think the same goes for... Um, for LBGTQ, you know, infectious disease screening regularly, counseling and therapy services, fertility planning and storage, family planning, routine health screenings. These are all things that, again, should not be a talking point. They should just be regular forms of care that you have regular access to. Um, don't have to worry about it being covered or not. You just look up a provider. It should be a provider nearby, again, regular access, and you go get the care and treatment you need, bottom line. I just, this is, again, one of my, like, passion projects. Well, it's common sense, and it's, you know, yes. what, any, what any doctor would do, but it's when for-profit healthcare gets in the middle of it, and you've got all these pre-authorizations, and, you know, the, the doctor wants to do this, but it's like, well, no, we've got to call the insurance company and see if this pre-authorization is going to go through. It's when for-profit health care gets in the middle that then we've got all this other stuff going on. And Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, sometimes it's, it's the simplest things can't get done because of the dumbest rules and um, or just antiquated uh, thinking. Um, and it's... Um, it's not okay, you know, um, and we need to we need to start thinking that everybody is equal. It doesn't matter who you are. Um, equal rights for others does not mean less rights for you. And that's <laughs> if we can have everybody thinking that way and treating others with kindness and leading with kindness, I think we would be a, in a much better place. Um, and, you know, in healthcare especially, you take a Hippocratic Oath and you should be honoring that. And um, no one should get different treatment just because they think or live differently than you do. And like what just passed in Arkansas is atrocious. Um, It is absurd, like not being able, you can choose not to treat someone or turn someone away because they're transgender or LBGTQ. Uh, That's against a Hippocratic oath. You can't do that. It's also against, like here in Georgia, there's a rule called EMTALA and um, for emergency room, you can't do that. Um, and I think it will be found unconstitutional when they take it to court, but, um, it's, 
yeah, that's uh, and I I see more of those bills going through in some of these red states, and um, I think that's horrible. Like, what kind of lesson are we teaching to the youth of America? Like, just I, I don't think that's okay. I think the Arkansas bill was vetoed by their governor, if I'm not mistaken. The state le- it was, and the state legislator pushed it through. Oh, imagine that. They over they yeah they overhauled the veto, made it a veto proof bill. Which is so messed up. <laughs> it's a race to the bottom of the barrel. It, you know, it really is. <sighs> um, which <laughs> the next topic <laughs> up is uh, education. It's like, how do, where do you go from there? <laughs> education. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the, uh, the the news story about education here in Georgia lately is that uh, Sonny Purdue is um, up for a candidate to be chancellor of the university system here in Georgia. Oh. Um, so let's look at um, Sonny Purdue. He was ag uh, secretary under uh, Trump and you know former governor here in Georgia. Um, my story that and I you know have talked about this on a uh, previous episode um, you know having politicians leading higher education it typically is not the best result. Um, Kennesaw State University uh, is this now the second largest public university in Georgia. Um, I saw the stats. I'm, I'm an alumni via Southern Polytechnic. Um, Republicans in Georgia uh, decided to combine a lot of the uh, state universities, and that was one of the mergers that they pushed through um, to combine Southern Polytechnic and Kennesaw together. So that makes me a alumni by proxy. But um, and I was a former um, adjunct faculty at Kennesaw State for a short time. But the last term that I uh, taught there was, uh, if we look at the story there, was the time they installed Sam Olins as the president. So Sam Olins was the former attorney general here in Georgia, and he also had a time on the um, in Cobb County politics. And um, then the cheerleader scandal, as you might remember, at Kennesaw State mm-hmm. went down under his administration. Um, that led to um, uh, Cobb County Sheriff and um, uh, the uh, Mr. Earhart pressuring him to uh, remove the cheerleaders off the field. Um, there were payouts to the uh, cheerleaders over all that scandal, and then uh, Sam Owens, I believe, lasted about a year as president of Kennesaw State before he was replaced and removed. Um, if that's any track record on what uh, politicians as uh, leaders of higher education uh, you know, look like, I don't think that's a very good idea. Well, I, and honestly, it makes me sound very jaded, but I question their motives. Um, uh, well, other than him being a politician, what are his credentials to be a chancellor of the university system? Um, I, I think part of our our education system, I think, is broken, just like our healthcare system. Um, I have my sister-in-law is a teacher; she's a kindergarten teacher in Gwinnett County, and my stepmom, um, she just retired from being a teacher. 
And I talk to them quite a bit about teaching and everything. And it's the stuff they have to go through. Good Lord. I thought working in healthcare was was um, hard sometimes. I I commend all teachers. I couldn't be a teacher. I will say that right up front. Um, you people are saints. Uh, uh, they, they really are superheroes. Um, I think the pandemic has taught all of us that teachers deserve to be paid way more than they are. Um, so, yeah. Um, but I think anybody that's going to lead any kind of educational system should have amazing credentials and background in education. Now, if they're going to have political credentials, I'm not necessarily opposed to that, but the education credentials should far exceed those political credentials Um, because we need people who understand children, how they learn, and how their minds work because that's what's wrong with the systems today is we have this one-size-fits-all education system, and it's, no one is like that. It doesn't work. We also need people who understand what, what, how, what a godsend teachers are and how magical they are and that they are superheroes and that we need to invest in our educators because without them, we don't have an education system. Instead, we treat teachers like they're expendable. And, again, I think this pandemic has shown us that we're clearly wrong on that level. Um, So we need to, I think, like like the healthcare system, we need to invest in our education system, Um, invest in our educators. They shouldn't be scraping by to work. They should be... They shouldn't be worried about their paycheck. They should be worried about their students. They should be, I mean, like we have students going to school and they they have, in, in elementary school, they have student lunch debt. And, um, you know, my, my sister-in-law was telling me about this, and she's a kindergarten teacher. And there's student lunch debt for kindergartners. And she talks to me about it, and I'm like, this is the stuff she's worrying about. That, that's not something that should be a concern. Like, this, what is wrong with our system? Like, this is what is happening. And then there's standardized testing. Like, um, my nephews just had to go through. They're in first grade. Why do we have standardized testing in first grade? I'm sorry. I... I, I First grade, I, I was like still trying to figure out how to find the library in first grade. This is not uh, our educate standardized testing. I think needs to go away. You don't need to. Your whole life shouldn't be determined on how you are doing on one day of school. It just shouldn't. Um, we need, and then there's also a direct correlation um, between standardized tests and prison. And how many people go to prison, I mean, which is uh, mind-boggling. Um, we, need, uh, we need to fund the arts programs, the humanities, the social studies, because students need a creative outlet. 
not just in elementary school, but all through school. Um, because there's a direct correlation between the arts and improved scores in math, science, and writing. You can't expect students to just, you know, crunch numbers and, you know, be in, in inside books all day. They need to be able to unwind and be creative. Otherwise, they're going to have meltdowns and breakdowns. They're not behavioral students. They're... <laughs> They're human, and they're, they're overwhelmed. I mean, it happens to all of us. Um, so I think these things are all important that we need to show that we're invested in our future, and the children are the future. So we need to prove that we care enough about our children to invest in them. Um, and I should also add that uh, Barry Loudermilk um, – has like a, a 0% rating with the National Education Association, and he's got like a ton of kids. So there you go. <laughs> well, he, I think he was in some sort of um, uh, uh, committee meeting, and he boasted that all of his kids um, had no student debt. as uh, That was somehow relevant to whatever the conversation was. Um, yes, privileged, rich, mm-hmm. white man with all white children of course, and how that was exactly. relevant to anything that was going on in the committee meeting. Of course, you live in your bubble. You don't meet with all of your constituents, and that's, of course, what you um, you come up with. Yeah. Well, I, I do have student debt, um, and that's something else we need a lot of reform on because it's, it is absurd the way they uh, – mine is federal. It's not private, and – let me tell you, um, I have a lot less than a lot of people out there. Um, I have never missed a payment. I've never been late on a payment. And when President Trump came into office, or shortly after he came into office, from one month to the next, my monthly premium tripled. And it's almost as much as my mortgage payment now. And... No one could tell me why. They just said, well, it's the new administration. Uh, uh, excuse me? Yeah, congratulations. Welcome. Yeah. Uh, and, and like I said, I, uh, I, I mean, I was flabbergasted, and I'm still working to get it lower. Like, and it's been like four years now, and I'm still trying to get it lowered, and like I said, mine is, I've got, uh, it's like $40,000. So it's honestly, it's a lot less than most people have. I mean, I know I've got a friend that's got like $230,000 in debt. And I was like, I can't imagine what she's going through. I mean, mine is, it, it could be way worse. And I was like, and they don't, <laughs> what's astonishing to me is with um, federal loans, is what they keep explaining to me is they do not care, and I have this actually recorded, um, what other bills you have at all, um, unless it's a federal uh, loan or a federal payment, they do not count it. So you, no matter what other bills you have in your life, they do not consider it when, like, you're doing a payment option or anything. It does not matter. 
Um, the only other payments they care about are if they are federal payments. Those are the only ones they will take into account when considering a payment option for you. And I was yep. like, what, what if you have a mortgage? Because, like, I mean, I'm single. I live alone. I, I mean, I, I have a mortgage. I have a car payment. I have medical bills. I have health insurance. And they said, well, none of that matters to us. Unless you have other federal payments, we don't care. Okay. Well, <laughs> and then they did tell me, and I have this recorded too, that if I was married, that they could consider lowering my payment because then I would have had a family and um, I would have a dependence at that point, which I thought was the most absurd thing I'd ever heard. Yeah, I think it has something to do with they look at your total situation and then um, total debt and everything. But uh, it doesn't go yeah. away. It's it's, it's it the only it's, even in bankruptcy it doesn't go away. No, it's. I mean, I just told them I was like, y'all, this is y'all prey on people. Like you absolutely prey on people. So it it was really awful. Like I, it, I'm still trying to get it fixed. Like this is four years later, it's still happening. <laughs> so, and, and, and it's of, all just, it's all just going to interest. Like people are like, well, you borrowed money, you should pay it back. And, and I keep trying to have this conversation. Like I understand that, but it they, they make it where you can never get out from underneath the loan. Like so, like they prey on students where you, you want to get an education, but then they give you this interest that, and then they do these things to your loans and these payments, and then it, you just never get out from underneath them. Yeah, and what did Trump do? He put Betsy DeVos over the uh, education. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, he, he, even my mom said that, that that was the most ridiculous thing ever. I was like, well, why do you keep voting for these people? But whatever. Yeah, one of my coworkers is actually one of the um, people that was impacted by Betsy DeVos and her um, the whole thing with the defrauded college people, um, the loans that were supposed to be dismissed or that were dismissed by President Obama, and then DeVos came in and brought them back in, and like they've been hassling them and stuff. She, uh, her loans were dismissed, and then when DeVos came in, you should hear the phone calls she gets. I mean, in the messages they leave, it's horrible. Like they downright threaten her. It, mm. I mean, it, oh my gosh, there she she has some of the voicemail saved. It's, it is it's awful. And uh, I told her, I said, you need to save all of those because if you go to court or something, you need to play these because it's. I mean. I mean, they literally threaten her to show up at her house and take all of her stuff, and it's awful. Yeah. There have been some um, uh, young people that have just left the country just to start over yeah. in another country. And her loan that is remaining, it's like $2,300. Like, it's not even a lot of money. It's just like, she goes, they're sitting here threatening to come take all my stuff for $2,300. And I was like, Wow. Well, I, I hate to hear the ones that have like fifty thousand dollars what they're doing to them. Yep. Um, All right. Um, 
time flies. Um, what other uh, topics did you want to cover today by chance? Um, I, hey, I'm, I can talk about anything. Um, <laughs> I, can you tell I like to talk? Um, so um, I, I'm good. Like, what's, what's on your mind? Hit me. That actually covers everything that I wanted to cover. Um, actually, well, there, there was one other thing. Um, we did tweet. Um, it is not brand new news, um, mm-hmm. but we, Matt Gates was mentioned a little bit earlier. Um, but yeah. um, it, it is somewhat timely. Barry Loudermilk campaigned mm. with, um, oh, what was his name? It escaped me all of a sudden. Oh, I know who you're talking about. Um, hold on. Because we're trying to talk about it, neither one of us can remember the name. The Dugers. The, yes. So this was back in October 2014 in Woodstock mm-hmm. on Town Lake Parkway. And I'm still amazed that this event has not been deleted off Facebook. But this is back when the uh, Faith Family Freedom Action Tour was a thing because it's, in air quotes, religious somehow. But the, uh, the, the Dugers were going around helping politicians like Barry Loudermilk campaign. Um, just want to get your thoughts on that. Um, I think, uh, honestly, I think it's, it's disgusting. Um, I think if you need someone like that to campaign with you, I think you've got a different kind of problem. Um, and I tend to believe people who are um, <clears throat> kind of hyper-religious or overly talk about how religious they are, people are, tend to cover up, they're covering up something. Most people who are genuinely Christian, they don't talk about it. They don't flaunt it. So I, I tend to get leery when people flaunt it about what they're trying to hide. Um, that's just been my personal experience. Um, and that goes for Barry Loudermilk. He talks about it all the time, just like Donald Trump did. He talks about it all the time. Um, and we've seen, you know, kind of what kind of people they are. Uh, so if you need a figure like that to come and campaign with you, um, I think that speaks volumes. Um, and uh, not in a good way. <laughs> um, so this, the fact that he hasn't deleted it is interesting. Um, you think he would have? Well, maybe he doesn't care. Maybe he thinks he's he's safe and unbeatable. Um, so he doesn't need to delete it. But yeah. Uh, well, he is aligning himself with Marjorie Taylor Greene as well, so I, I'm not entirely sure what goes on in his head. Um, not that I kind of want to know. Uh, yeah, the whole, the, the Duggars, um, Matt Gates. Uh, I worked in mental health for, you know, almost 15 years, and sometimes I'm really glad that I can't get inside some people's heads. Yeah. It, uh, I, yeah. <laughs> Probably leave it at I that. Just, 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 there's the, the little bit that I know, and, and even the predecessor to um, uh, it was Tom Graves that had uh, the district up there where uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene is, um, Barry Loudermilk's son. There's a story that uh, broke where they were um, at a restaurant down in uh, downtown Atlanta, and allegedly someone broke into the car they were in. And I'm um, not sure if you saw that story, but there were uh, guns mm-hmm. in the car. There was a Bible. There was uh, I think cash. There was a laptop. And it basically, uh, Tom Gray's was riding around basically like a drug lord. And uh, Barry Loudermuck's son was working with uh, Tom Grayson, happened to be there in the vehicle with him. Um, that that was a story that kind of flew under the radar years ago. And then Tom Graves decided not to rerun. And then, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene jumps over our district to go and win that district over there. But you have a better chance of winning than Marjorie Taylor Greene's um, folks do. Uh, 60% of the vote is all that Barry Loudermilk was able to squeeze out this last time. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, Mar- Marjorie Taylor Greene got 75. Yeah, Marjorie Taylor Greene got 75 percent. So, and she was unopposed technically. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, she's got a couple of competitors this time, but that's a it's a hard district to turn blue. Um, uh, but yeah, Barry needs. Um, it's time for him to retire. And uh, I think I'm the person to, to send them packing. Uh, I think we need a woman in, in that district um, to lead the way. And I don't own any guns, so you won't <laughs> find it in my car. Just to put that out there, I, I don't have any. I don't know if that makes a difference or not, but I promise you won't find one in my car. <laughs> If you do, it's not mine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, any parting words? I'll wrap this one up for today. Um, well, thanks for having me on. If anybody has any questions or concerns, um, please feel free to email me. My email is heather at heatherforgeorgia.com, or you can visit my website, heatherforgeorgia.com, to learn more about me. Or if you want to donate, that would be fantastic. Because uh, we're going to need a lot of money to beat very louder milk. Um, and uh, I really appreciate it. And please uh, give me a call if you want to have me on again. This was really fun. I like talking to you. You're, you're very easy to talk to. And, um, and message me about your, uh, your mom. I might be able to help out a little bit. Yeah, let me see where she is. She kind of changes her mind every month or so. But let me see where she is and we'll go from there. Oh, God, she sounds just like my mom. <laughs> Uh, all right well you be safe and um thank you for getting vaccinated and uh and we'll talk soon yep have a good weekend you too bye bye